Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Church, you just sang that like you want to get up here and preach. I, I ought to let you. You sang that like you are so convinced that Jesus is great and greatly to be praised. And that's why we're here. It's my joy to take a couple of minutes and to preach the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's usually a Bible in about every second or third chair along there. Uh, and uh, you can find Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Lord Jesus, now as we open your word, we ask that you would be glorified by the clarity of the exposition and that Holy Spirit, you would write these truths on the human heart today by your almighty power, we ask. Amen. Let's begin this gospel sermon with a, a question, a question you probably expect to hear coming to church, and the question is this, what is humanity's greatest problem? What's our greatest problem that we need help with? Of all the things that we need help with, one answer would be death. I mean, we need more money. We need better relationships, we need more love, but even if you have all the money in the world and the greatest relationships in the world and you're well-loved, you're still gonna die. So death's a pretty good answer to the question, what's humanity's greatest problem? But you know that we have our Bibles open and so in church, you wanna go one step better than that and if you know what the Bible says and you wanna be kind of know it all about it, you're like, well, I know the reason people die. And the reason people die is because of sin. So maybe your answer to what is humanity's greatest problem is that our greatest problem is sin. We're getting a little closer to the answer. What is sin? Sin is insisting on our own way and ignoring, refuting, rebelling against the will of God. What is sin? I promise, I promise I won't waste your time with a lot of stories about my grandkids, but just one. <laughs> Our granddaughter Trixie was with us just a week before last, and she is three years old. And if you ask her, Trixie, how old are you? About two times out of 10, she'll say, I'm three years old. About five times out of 10, she'll say, I'm two years old. The remaining, what is that, three times out of 10, she'll answer either, I don't know, or is it my birthday and can I have some cake? <laughs> anyway, I, was, I took her out for a drive and uh, she it was just her and me in the car and she piped up from the back seat when I rolled up to a stoplight. She goes, hey, did you know that some lights mean stop and some lights mean go? And I thought, what a brilliant kid. So I said, Trixie, what color light means stop? And she said, pink. <laughs> I thought, okay, okay, maybe that's, you know, a little close to red. So then I said, Trixie, which light means go? Pink. <laughs> that's the ignorance of a little baby. 
But sin is we go when we want to go, and we refuse to stop when God has said stop. And we've all sinned. Big problem is death. Big problem is sin. But I think we can get even closer to a better answer than death or sin. The answer that I would give with an open Bible is humanity's biggest problem is unforgiven sin. Do you know that? Because the Bible actually indicates that every single person who ends up in hell is a sinner. But the Bible also indicates that every single person who ends up in heaven is a sinner. What's the difference? The difference is some sin has been held on to, refused to repent of it, no forgiveness, no savior, no substitute. But all those who are in heaven are in heaven not because they didn't have sin in their lives and they didn't choose sin and they didn't go when God said stop and stop when God said go. They're in heaven because there is a risen Savior who forgives and takes away sin. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21. 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Don't miss what Jesus said in verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, that's the cross, and on the third day be raised. Don't miss that. Our opening scripture, our very call to worship was from Matthew 28, just a few chapters later when the angel appears in, in, the, in this, this white clothing and she says, and the angel says to the women, I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, but he's not here. Then he, the, the angel says three words and then three more words. He is risen as he said, as he said, he is risen. As he said. As you look at this text where Jesus lays out his cross and his resurrection, consider the depth of Jesus' demand. Consider how, frankly, important Jesus makes himself. He says, following me is more important than staying alive. Following me is more important than gaining the whole world. A few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus actually stood forward and said, anyone 
who loves father or mother or brother or sister more than me, more than me, isn't my disciple or isn't worthy to be my disciple. Consider the depth of that demand. This is a radical call for an absolute allegiance. One of the amazing things about Jesus' teaching is Jesus offers teaching without equivocation. There are no weasel words and no sort of lawyerly parsing of statements with Jesus. He just lays it all the way out and leaves it there. And he makes that kind of demand to the crowds, not just to a few chosen special disciples, but to all the crowds. There's a burrowing intensity to the teachings of Jesus that is meant to leave no part of the human soul untouched. The life of Christ confronts us with a personality that forbids indecision. The teaching of Christ reveals a depth of demand that eschews neutrality. You can easily sidestep the teachings of Jesus if you don't listen to them. And you can have an easy time following Jesus if the Jesus you follow is the figment of your own imagination. You can just sort of give a fist bump to Jesus that will help you with your life if the Jesus that's helping you is a comfy Jesus of your own cultural imagination. But if you meet Jesus in his word, in reality, he is utterly demanding. Why? Well, because he left heaven to come to earth to live for us, to die for us, to rise again for us, and to save us. Therefore, not only did he create us and own us, but now through the gospel, he's offering to recreate us and own us again and again. So the depth of his demand makes sense if he's the Lord, God, creator. But I want you to notice simply not only the depth of his demand, But second, I want you to notice from the text itself why anyone would say yes to this demand. Notice the depth of the demand, but then second, notice why would anyone say yes to this demand? And you can see the sort of outline in the word for in verse 25 and the word for in verse 26 and the word for in verse 27. Jesus answers the question, why would anyone say yes to this demand? And he gives three reasons. Three reasons why it's not crazy to say yes to this demand. It's crazy to say no to this demand. In other words, he gives these three reasons why it's not foolish to lay down everything and follow Christ. It's foolish to hold on to anything and not follow Christ. Three reasons why. The four in verse 25, in verse 26, and then in verse 27. First, verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The first reason to to say yes to this utterly demanding demand is that losing life is saving it. Is that losing life is saving it. Life here is used with a double sense of meaning. The natural comfort of sort of staying alive and well and comfortable and unpersecuted in this life. But the second way that he means life is real life. The life that comes beyond this one. 
How comforting was it and how Christian was it to hear Bryce and Abby speak of life again, a life beyond this one. And that's what he's getting at here. So we could read the statement of Jesus as whoever desires to save his life in this world by holding on to it and avoiding me and avoiding the persecution that comes from being my disciple, they've lost everything. But whoever willingly gives up his life, even unto death, for my sake, gains everything. Church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us for a certainty that God will win, God will so victoriously win in the end, God's righteous love will so victoriously rule and reign in the end that every price that we pay and everything we quote-unquote lose for being on God's side will be nothing when we get to the end. There is a day coming when uh, all that is righteous and true and holy will be vindicated and rewarded because of the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when all those who died for Jesus' name will be vindicated and it will be utterly worth it in the end. There are many times in this life, church, there are many times in this life, church, where you will do the right thing and not get rewarded. That's this life, this life. In the end, it'll all be made right. The first reason is that losing life is saving it. The second reason comes from verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The second reason why it makes sense to give in to this demanding demand is that gaining profit is losing it. Not only losing life is saving it, but gaining profit, verse 26, is losing it. If you choose the first life, holding on to things, the prosperous life on this planet, what would it matter if in the end you ended up with nothing? Jesus knows, Jesus understands that his hearers are going to say, your demand is too demanding. Your call is too extreme and your cost is too high. So Jesus, like he opens up the books of the entire universe and he, he lays out this compelling case of the ROI for the demand that he's making. And he qualifies, quantifies that the whole world on one side and Jesus on the other is not even, a, not even a, an issue. The answer is that no amount of earthly gain would add up to making it make sense for you to refuse to follow Christ. So why would you refuse to follow Christ? Church, understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us for a certainty, for a certainty, that in this life, everything we gain will be touched with sin and sorrow. But there is a day coming when God will raise us up from the grave and enter us into a world in which there is no sin and no sorrow forever. All the profit that you gain in this life is still touched with sin and sorrow. Why would you leverage all of your investment in that when there's a better gain to be had? 
Not only is losing life saving it and gaining profit losing it, but the third and final reason right there in verse 27 is for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The third reason why is because the end is coming and only Christ will matter in the end. When Jesus says that he's returning and he'll reward, he's, he's not ungospeling the gospel and saying if you do enough good things, he'll let you into heaven. The Christian gospel is not a system of works by which we earn salvation. He died on the cross because we couldn't make our way into heaven. But what he is getting at is that when he returns, he really will reward us with life everlasting. The third reason why it makes sense to follow Jesus is because the end is coming, and in the end, only Christ will matter. The final rewards on that final day will be this. All of those who are Christian, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have followed Christ, he will reward them with his own presence and joy forever. And all those who have refused to follow Christ, the scripture says that when he returns, he will turn away from them and say, depart from me because they would not follow him. And they would not believe. Church, we get so intoxicated by the here and now and we need to see that there's a day coming when all that we go through here will only make sense because of Christ. In the final day, the critical point on the final day is your relationship to the one who today is demanding your life. Say that again. On that final day, the critical issue, the crucial point will be your relationship with the one who today is making this demand to follow him and be his disciple. The only issue will be, have you believed? Are you in Christ? Has his cross covered you? Is his resurrection your life? Jesus is willing to make that demand and he's worthy to make that demand because he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And now he makes that demand to everyone here. So where is it with you? If humanity's greatest problem is unforgiven sin, do you believe that death of Jesus Christ on that cross paid the penalty for sin? And do you believe that his resurrection from that grave was the, the stamp of heaven's approval that heaven is open wide and the debt has been paid and the books have been cleared. His resurrection is the vindication of his life and his death. And so are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Let's pray one more time. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, would you hear your children as they pray? We ask you for the gift of a vibrant, living faith. We ask you, heavenly Father, for the gift of the assurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, work in every heart here Work in the hearts of those who know you and have believed by causing them to persevere 
in that faith. And gracious God, work in the hearts of those here who have yet to believe. Grant them the gift of faith, the wonderful gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And in his name we ask this. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.